Welcome to What She Said. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Today's podcast is not about me. In fact, it's 100% about you. But to give some context as to how this interview came to be, I need to give a little backstory. For four years, I lived through unrelenting chronic stress that would not let up. Moving, finances, extremely stressful divorce proceedings, a pandemic, family estrangement, raising teenagers, also struggling with many of the same things, and foster parenting for a time. I felt like a guinea pig in some sick stress experiment, and it impacted my health in a big way, not just mentally, but physically. I am now on a healing journey and have spent an inordinate amount of time reading everything I can get my hands on about stress. And then this book, How to Calm Your Mind, Finding Presence and Productivity in Anxious Times by Chris Bailey was sent to me. And it's been a game changer. We all know productivity advice is crucial in today's fast-paced world, but it's equally important that we also develop our capacity for calm. By finding calm, we not only feel more relaxed and at ease, but we also build a deeper, more expansive reservoir of energy to draw from throughout the day. Chris joins me today to discuss a range of topics, including how the analog and digital worlds affect calm and anxiety in different ways, how our desire for the neurochemical dopamine can lead to anxiety and a lack of appreciation for everyday experiences, and how hidden sources of stress can be tamed by a stimulation fast. He'll also be sharing how we can use the science of savoring to become more present and enjoy life more, and how busyness is as much a state of mind as it is an actual state of life. So join us as we delve into the pursuit of calm and how it ultimately leads us to become more engaged, focused, and deliberate, while making us more productive and satisfied with our lives. In an anxious world, investing in calm can be considered the best productivity strategy around. Meet Chris Bailey. Hi, Chris. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for joining me today. It is nice to be here. How are you? I, I'm good. And I and I don't know, I, we were talking just briefly before we started, and I said, did you hear the story about how this came to be? And you said you did not. So I can, I, not. can I set this up for you? Yeah, what a tease. Okay, so... Yeah. I was, I, my my show, as you know, is called What She Said, and yeah. I only have women on the show. I had one male on the show this year, um, Brian Baumler. I gave him a little Father's Day spot. And so nice. typically it helps me weed out interviews. So they sent me um, a request about your book, and I said, sorry, I, I, you know, I only have women on the show. And they said, well, could we send you the book anyway? I said, I'd love to read it because it sounds ex- like exactly what I need. So they sent me the book and I was about four chapters in and I wrote back and I said, I changed my mind. (laughs) I need to have him on the show. This book should be required reading for everybody going into 2023. I feel this strongly about this book. Wow. Yeah. That's a good story. I like that story. It's a great, it's a great book. So I really am excited to get into it. Let's start at the beginning. You mm-hmm. didn't intend to write this book. No, I didn't. Yeah. And and this, you know, the other books that I've written are on productivity. So accomplishing more of what we intend to do. And that's kind of my jam. I, I, I love productivity. I love it more today than, than I have. I definitely have a renewed 
understanding of it, though. And this book came to be because of a talk that I gave on stage. Uh, I was on stage in, in front of about a hundred people, and I noticed shortly after I got up there, there were these beads of sweat starting to form on the back of my neck, and I felt like there were like a dozen marbles or, or so in my mouth, and I was stammering and stumbling on my words, really uncharacteristically. And I realized, you know, shortly into this talk, that I was having an anxiety attack on stage. I wanted—I don't know if you've ever watched one of those shows where somebody walks into the ocean and then they just keep trailing off as if to never be seen again. That's how I felt like I—I I needed to be mentally. I just wanted to escape the situation, fight or flight my way out of there. Um, and I remember. After this talk, luckily I got through it on autopilot mode to a very lukewarm reception, as you can imagine. And I, I got back to my hotel room after, and I remember laying down on, it was one of those hotel rooms where there's two beds, even though it's just you staying there. And uh, I remember laying down thinking, something's off, obviously. Uh, and I thought I was doing a good job of taking care of myself, of taking care of my mind. But after deconstructing the situation after that point, I realized I was anxious, highly anxious, uh, which surprisingly didn't realize at the time, uh, realized I was burnt out and realized I needed to fix and get the heck out of this situation however I possibly could. So hit the books and created one from this journey that I didn't really intend to, you know, I'd, I'd rather, uh, rather would not would have just kept going but i feel i have something to share here so well it might have seemed at first while this came out of nowhere mm -hmm. there were probably a, there were probably a lot of signs leading up to that weather. oh yeah 100 percent. and th this is the thing about anxiety it's like a fish in water a fish doesn't realize they're in water we often feel anxious without realizing it you know our thoughts race we uh, have thoughts we can't control we feel restless and we feel on edge. We have this rapid heartbeat. We have these palpitations. We have difficulty concentrating there. We have this nausea sometimes that comes out. of That was a symptom for me, actually, is nausea, lightheadedness a lot of the time for anxiety. And we often have these, these cases where our body and our mind are trying to tell us something. But because of how busy our mind is in the first place, we don't hear it. And we keep going and we keep investing in these habits and these rituals and these behaviors that create more stress and more anxiety and more burnout and don't really have that little peak of light that we can see through an opening that we think over there, that's where I need to go. Um, we're kind of in this dark room sometimes. You talk in the book a lot about chronic stress. And yeah. one of the things that really struck me about that was how much chronic stress we're under every day that I yeah. think most of us don't think is a stressor. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. And we kind of have two types of stress. We have acute stress and chronic stress. Uh, and acute stress is once off and it's like you're late to the airport and you're going to Puerto Rico or something. Like, that's fine. And it's acute stress that often makes our time meaningful. Um, there was one uh, woman I talked to, Kelly McGonigal, uh, in assembling this book. She's a stress researcher. And she, she explained this beautifully to me where she said, if you went back through your life and eliminated every episode of acute stress, 
you would eliminate pretty much all of the meaning from your life too. Uh, you would eliminate welcoming new members into your family. You would eliminate the weddings. You would eliminate the, the fights that make you grow. Uh, you would eliminate the big Thanksgiving or Christmas meals that you cooked for everybody. Uh, you would eliminate a lot of what makes life meaningful. Uh, that's acute stress, though. And our body is designed to deal with acute stress. But chronic stress, like you were just saying, is that, that no good, very bad kind of stress that is repeated in our life. We keep facing it. Uh, instead of, you know, a tight budget in December because it's Christmas, it's the, the financial, uh, break we see whenever we see our bank account. Uh, instead of the once-off fight with our partner, it's the irreconcilable feelings we have when we see them. It's the never-ending kind of stress. And I, I was surprised in, in this journey that became this book how th this chronic stress is what causes burnout. Burnout is caused by one thing and one thing only. And that thing, my friend, is this chronic stress that does not let up in our life. Uh, and this leads to the exhaustion, the cynicism, the uh, profound feeling of being unproductive. Those are the three characteristics of being burnt out. It leads to anxiety as well, because a lot of the chronic stress in our life is obvious, right? The financial concerns, the arguments, but a lot of it is hidden as well. And a lot of it is stuff we subject our own mind to that makes us anxious, that exposes us to threats as we're going about our day. But yet, because a source of stress has become comfortable, it has become familiar, even though it causes anxiety. Um, and that was another kind of thing to disentangle in my life, where a lot of stress I tended to out of my own volition, simply because it was a habit that comprised a part of my day. It's like self-inflicted chronic stress. And yeah. because I think when, you know, we think of chronic stress, we think about, you know, somebody's sick, you're going through a divorce, you maybe lost your job, things like that. But it's not. And and I felt a little called out in your book uh, mm. because you were talking about some of the things and, and you know, you're you're similar in that you work in sort of a similar field. You you are constantly in touch with social media, you're writing, you're 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 speaking with people all the time. And I had had myself fooled quite convincingly, I might add, that, you know, yeah. every time I went on Twitter, I was working. <laughs> every yeah. time I, I checked out the news, I had to stay on top of everything because this oh, is the field course. I'm in, right? Yeah. And I could justify that constantly. And then, yeah. you know, reading your book, I, there were so many light bulbs go going off that I thought, this is, this is stealing time. It's robbing mm. time from me and yeah. not really working. And we have this kind of busyness layer in our life that is comprised of all of that, um, that kind of activity where we didn't, you know, if you go back 15, 20 years ago, we used to make it by just fine without having the news refresh every two, three minutes. Uh, we used to make it by just fine without Twitter updates, you know, giving us new things to be anxious and, and upset about. And there was one study I encountered. Uh, over the course of writing this book about the 2013 Boston Marathon bombings. And the team of researchers looked at two groups of people. Uh, the first group of people were runners in the actual marathon. And the second group of people were those who watched six or more hours of news coverage about the Boston Marathon bombings. 
And what they found was that those who watched six or more hours of news coverage were more stressed than somebody who was a runner in the actual marathon. Uh, they were more likely to experience post-traumatic stress disorder than somebody who is in the marathon and directly, personally affected by it as well. And it just is, is illustrative of this idea that our mind cannot distinguish between um, made up and genuine threats to our own health, our own safety. Uh, we experience the threats on the news and on Twitter as if they are happening to us on a fundamentally personal level. And to me, that is shocking, especially and, uh, encountering these ideas in, in uh, the course of this journey that became the book. I, I would go through days without checking the news, just subscribing to a physical newspaper, which is my uh, favorite subscription service. It became that over the course of this journey. Refreshes once a day. Imagine that, not every two to three minutes, and it's kind of more of a briefing than it is this constant anxiety updates where we have to anxiously scroll and bounce around. Um, and just the effects of that one replacement proved to be profound, and it motivated me, you know, to get tactical, uh, to make a list of all the stress that I was facing in my life, separate the chronic stress from the acute stress, and really zero in on those hidden sources of chronic stress uh, in my own days. Yeah, what, what what did you find in looking at your own chronic stress? Well, you know, I I immediately started to put into play some of the things you suggested, and mm. and I, I, we're going to get to it in a bit. We're going to talk about mm -hmm. a stimu stimulation fast, mm -hmm. but I I I've not been able to fully embrace that yet. Uh, I'm wrapping up my show for the year, and I just from a work point of view, it, it's almost yeah. impossible for me to do it at this time. But I have yeah. started implementing these um i guess daily breaks where you know um i don't touch my phone in the morning for sort of three hours uh as soon as i get up i just don't touch it don't look at it and and go about my day and i have to say it's had a incredible effect on how the rest of my day will go mm -hmm. is sort of uh priming myself for my day really with calm instead instead of stress because usually when i pick up my phone and you know we're all subjected to it there is there are those headlines you know they do a b testing to see which one's going to get the most people to click on it and yeah, it's about rage yeah. farming and you know how can we make this scandalous or controversial and it's always not uh, yeah. so all of those things those little things have been wildly helpful but when you were mentioning boston marathon i can't help mm. but play back 9 11 in my head mm. and what that must have done to our psyches watching that play out over and over and over again and we weren't there yeah you know that's that's profound when you think about it because if that boston marathon if that had that much of an effect on people i wonder what it's done 9 11 which was so much bigger and it was really just when social media was exploding at that time yeah and it, it's so true that it, it, i think one tension that i think we all have to manage is we want to stay informed, uh, but we also need to minimize stress to be able to actually deal with the events that directly affect our life. And it's kind of a tension that it, it makes it a bit weird to write about because 
you know, the, the best thing that we could do for a perfectly calm mind is to completely disconnect and bury our head in the sand and not consume any more news updates because there's bound to be things that are threatening. But those things directly affect the communities that we're in and, and who we are. But it's kind of a balance between staying informed and maintaining the resources that we need on that personal level, uh, the calm to be able to find firm footing with whatever situation we happen to find ourselves in. Um, you know, we can't jeopardize those mental resources in order to be able to deal with the news events that directly affect our life. But generally speaking, you know, most of us don't need to be, uh, don't need to change our behavior patterns and our daily actions in response to the ways in which the news updates every two to three minutes. Uh, if we do, then that's a good reason to check the news every two to three minutes. But we should check the news, in my opinion, as often as we should modify our behavior patterns to fit the new environments that we find ourselves in. But there is that over-exaggeration, definitely, of negativity when it comes to the news and of uh, stimulation uh, of stressful situations. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you know, you talk a lot about technology in this mm -hmm. book. And, and I think that's, that's great because we really do need to address this. But one of the things yeah. that, that comes up is that we're not hardwired for this. Our brains are still very much back in, you know, the caveman days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we're, no wonder we're overwhelmed. We're, we're not, you know what it is. It, we're not used to this much novelty in our days. Um, we, you know, there there is something that researchers called super stimuli that are found on the internet and in our lives, um, which are highly processed, exaggerated versions of things that we're biologically wired to enjoy. And so, uh, Uber Eats, most things on Uber Eats are salty, sugary, fatty uh, alternatives that are highly processed alternatives to things that we're biologically wired to enjoy. Good food, like berries, sweet berries from a tree, um, for example. But most super stimuli these days are digital. And we look to the most uh, novel elements of our life, and most of that novelty is digital. You know, social media feeds are a great example of this. You, you mentioned Twitter, and we can all kind of remember the time that the various feeds in our life went from being chronologically arranged uh, to being algorithmically arranged. And we used to see the updates from friends and family. There were boring updates from our aunts, like scattered in with the more interesting, uh, you know, tirades that our uncles went on and, you know, all that kind of thing. But now they're sorted by most to least novel. Uh, and what that novelty does, that novelty hijacks the ancient part of our brain. Uh, by releasing dopamine, which is a neurochemical that uh, causes an immense um, sensation of anticipation in our brain. Um, it, it feels as though pleasure is right around the corner whenever we tend to something novel. And so we go to Instagram and we get a hit of that novelty, we get a hit of that dopamine, and we that behavior reinforces itself because we keep coming back because we feel as though pleasure is always on the way, even though we never feel as though we have arrived. 
And you, you compare a situation like that to one in which we actually feel connected with somebody else, or we feel proud of how we're spending our time volunteering, you know, sharing a, a, a brunch date or a coffee. Brunch is my favorite meal to eat out because uh, you get to like wake up with somebody. It's awesome. Um, you never get that feeling of having arrived when you're on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. And it's because of that dopamine that leads to the feeling of anticipation, but never satisfaction or pleasure. It's a fascinating phenomenon that leads us to overstimulate our mind. And, you know, we're, we're addicts. Mm. We're, we're addicted. And, and, you know, reading your book, one of yeah. the things that I, I really struck home for me was that the more we get, the more we need. Yeah. Well, that goes back to your uh, morning ritual where if we have a calm morning, calm mornings lead to deliberate days because we start the day off on a, uh, on a quiet mental note and we can actually plan, we can ideate, we can think about the future. Whereas if we start the day off distracted, we want to stay at that high level of mental stimulation. Because that's another thing that dopamine does is it tends to overstimulate our mind. And the more stimulation we get, the more we crave. Dopamine begets dopamine, stimulation begets stimulation. And so distraction begets distraction. And so we want to continue as we start. And I think that's the key is lowering our level of mental stimulation. And this goes back to that idea of, of dopamine fasting that, that you alluded to. Uh, so a dopamine fast is, you know, we have these super stimuli that we tend to that leads to, um, this feeling of, of, of a satisfactional emptiness. So we never feel like if we sip on a cup of coffee that we made in the morning and we truly savor that ritual, we feel like we can just exhale like, ah, you know, we all have that ah sound that we make when we drink a cup of coffee. We never make that sound when we check Facebook or Instagram or our email for the 27th time that day. And so keep, yeah, keeping in mind that we want to continue as we start. And, you know, dopamine fasting is a process of going without these hits of dopamine, without these super stimuli for, uh, I like to do them for a period of one month. And so for one month, you cut out the novelty. You cut out everything from the process takeout in the analog world to uh, the social media feeds, to uh, email on your phone, but to all these things that are immediately, um, I, w- I wouldn't say gratifying, but immediately stimulating and replacing them with things that are deeper. You know, you could still, uh, you know, it's something that I did. I, I still want, found myself wanting to post on social media, but I, I wrote things out by hand. Like I, I tweeted, I felt like a, like a, I had aged many decades in, in overnight because I was writing out my tweets uh, to, to post later <laughs> within the bounds of the experiment. Um, and this has the effect of lowering that stimulation level of our mind. Uh, we get exposed to less stimulation, and so we crave less stimulation. I love, I love that. And you know, in the book, what I really did like about the book is that you're so relatable and so honest mm. on this journey. And again, one part you said, you know, you, you would go to check something and then you would find yourself just down a rabbit hole. 
And you challenge people to do that. And I have really been cognizant of that since I read that Mm. little part in the book. And I do it now. I'll go, okay, I'm going to hop over because I need to grab this from this social media site. And, you know, 20 minutes later, I'm still there. And I haven't got what I came for. I forgot what I've come for. (laughs) Yeah. Like walking into a different room in your house. It's a trap. Why am I in the kitchen? Yeah. (laughs) It's a trap. And so you have to be so aware of it. Um, So, but the crazy thing is, here's here's where I think people are going to get hung up. They're going to go, all right, wait a minute. Yeah. I'm not going to be productive if I don't do this. And it's quite the opposite. Yeah. It really is. And and this was another thing that was worth deconstructing right in the book. We're terrible at measuring our productivity. Uh, we tend to look at how exhausted we are at the end of the day. We tend to look at how busy we are at the end of the day as well as sort of proxy measurements for how productive we are. But it's worth defining what productivity even means here. And this was another thing that I had to, you know, a knot I had to untangle internally is Productivity is really just about one thing, and that one thing is intentionality, right? We're perfectly productive when we accomplish what we set out to do in the first place. And so if you intend to, you know, write down a bunch of tweets by hand with a cup of coffee, uh, and you do, I'd argue you're productive. If you intend to relax on a beach for a week and drink uh, pina coladas, and you do, I'd argue you're productive. If you intend to hire somebody new onto your team and clear out 200 emails from your inbox and write a 1,000 word report and catch up on a couple phone calls that you need to return, and then you do, I would argue that you're perfectly productive then too. Uh, Productivity begins and ends with intention. And it's about how much we're able to accomplish uh, as well. You know, it's about how much of our intentions we're able to accomplish. And this is something that we miss is when we feel less busy, we feel like we're less productive, but we just have fewer signals to the evaluating part of our mind that we're making less progress, even though we're, chances are we make more progress when we work slowly, deliberately, thoughtfully, uh, instead of this fast directionless hustle where we work with this automaticity. Did that blow your mind? When Because you're a productivity expert. You've yeah. written several books about productivity. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're, you're helping people all the time with this. So did yeah. that, was that hard for you to sort of, maybe not accept, but to believe? Yeah. And I think we tend to look when it comes to productivity at the quick advice. We want the things that are immediate, uh, but there is so much that affects our productivity beyond the immediate. Like, let's say you and I go out for lunch and we have this, we go to like an all-you-can-eat sushi place and we way overeat, we eat too much, we have that sushi belly, like, you know, we got, we're not going to get any food, food baby, that's what it's called, not sushi belly. Um, You know, and we're trying to, struggling to focus all afternoon. Lunch can affect our productivity if we're not careful. Um, And this is the thing about calm is, we spend so much time looking for the quick advice that allows us to accomplish more, forgetting about building up our capacity for productivity. If we don't have a large enough reservoir with which to work, to live a good life, good luck becoming productive. You know, if we're burnt out, good luck 
working through your exhaustion. If, if we're anxious, and anxiety is not something we think about much when it comes to productivity, but let's say you have to give a speech in front of a thousand people, and that speech is in one hour. Uh, you're probably not going to be able to think much uh, about much else besides that speech for the next hour. Uh, if I gave you some report to write, you probably wouldn't be able to focus on it much. Um, and that's the effect of anxiety on our cognitive performance. It shrinks how much attention we have to give to every moment of our life, maybe not to the same size of an effect as giving a speech in front of a thousand people, but we experience that shrunken mental capacity all day long when we work with an anxious mind. But luckily, the opposite of anxiety is not no anxiety. The opposite of anxiety is calm. And so the more we invest in moving down this anxiety spectrum towards this idea of a calm mind, the more productive we become, the more present we become, the more connected we become with other people. Um, and that's what makes uh, a, a good life is that presence. I think what I, I liked about the book as well is that you brought in a series of, um, I guess, exercises people can do mm. to create awareness. And one of them was similar to, you know, uh, a cup and you fill it up with, you know, you know, your family and, and your work yeah. and, you know, and then you've got anxiety and, and, and stress takes up a big chunk of that as well. And so mm. at the very top of that cup, there's very little room and just the smallest little drop can make that overflow. And for me, it yeah. was that recognition of a lot of the chronic stress that I have in my life comes from social media. It comes from the mm -hmm. digital world that I work and play in and often get lost down rabbit holes in, which I think a yeah. lot of people can relate to. Yeah. And, you know, the digital and the analog, that's a fascinating divide. Uh, you can kind of make a, a it, it, here's, here's where I settled after looking at the research and experimenting with this myself. I think when we want to experience meaning, from an experience, uh, that we should do it the analog way. And if we want to do something efficiently, we should do it the digital way. And efficiency matters a lot in work. You know, this is why we, we tend to work so much in the digital world. We can type a quick message very quickly <laughs> and reach somebody across the planet much qui more quickly than we can do so the analog way. But we can kind of think about the tasks that we do each and every day uh, in sort of a Venn diagram of sorts. So if you imagine two circles and one is analog only, the other is digital only. So the analog only activities include things like, I don't know, brushing your teeth and taking a, a walk through nature. And the digital only activities include things like uh, email. Um, and where those circles meet in the middle, that sweet spot we can choose to do things the analog way without compromising much in the way of efficiency, usually. You know, if you keep a to-do list on paper, you're not going to lose a lot of efficiency versus doing things the digital way. You, you'll become a bit more efficient in the digital world, especially with longer form projects, but not necessarily. But we can write things the analog way. We can spend time with people the analog way. So instead of, you know, just trading dopamine hits with one another on a shallow social media platform that doesn't allow us to connect in the slightest. We can 
look into each other's eyes as we eat brunch. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that's the meal we would eat. Um, in the news is something that exists in the middle. Moving analog with the news significantly eliminates stress. It turns the news into a briefing when you receive the newspaper at your door instead of a something that causes you anxiety every two to three minutes. I have to tell um, you, I, yeah. I laughed out loud when I read that part in the book because I thought, do they still do that? Yeah, they still print them. Yeah, I might be the only one left in Ottawa that gets this, but uh, I, let's bring back the newspaper. Absolutely. We can do it. Absolutely, I, I'm yeah. with you on this. How much of your life at this point now would you say... You know, if you could look at it sort of as on a pie chart, where yeah. how much of it would be analog and how much of it would be digital? Oh, that's such a good question because that is a constant battle. If there's one thing from the book that I'm still um, working on, it, it is that. It's spending more time in the analog. Uh, I would say that probably two-thirds of my time to half would be spent in the digital world. Uh, and a third to half would be spent in the analog world, depending on the day. Uh, so it is a constant battle. And on average, we spend about 13 hours uh, in the digital world. So um, better than average, but still working on it for sure. What are some of the things, you know, you mentioned like to-do lists, uh, for example. Yeah. What are some of the things that you've moved that you previously did digitally, uh, you know, you newspapers to-do yeah. lists? Are there other things you've shifted over to analog? Yeah, reading is another one that makes up a big part of my day. I, I love cracking open just a physical book and writing in the margins. And uh, I've come to really connect with that. And it's that w- once there's that physical physicality, um, it's in brainstorming as well. Uh, I used to use digital brainstorming apps, but the distractions are always a tab or two away. Um, and I bought a whiteboard for the office to to brainstorm the analog way. Um, games are another big uh, thing. I used to waste a lot of time on those dumb little phone. Have you heard of Subway Surfers? I, I was going to say, don't get me started on Candy Crush. I, it's embarrassing. Oh, yeah. We all have our, we all have our game. <laughs> and swapping that out for board games, because I always need to find somebody to play with me. Uh, it's usually my, my wife, my poor wife, Arden, that I bug to play a game with me. But it's so much more rewarding and you can pour a, a glass of wine or make a cup of tea and really connect with somebody and um, dominate them in the game. No, I'm scared. <laughs> she usually beats me. <laughs> it's all, it's, you're clearly very competitive. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm but not. I, I wanted to just talk about one more thing before before we, yeah. we close out here. And, and this hit me pretty hard this weekend, actually. Mm. So I think it's it's important. You talk about the feelings of guilt we have yeah. when we're not productive. So on mm-hmm. Sunday of this week, I sat down with book, a physical book. I love reading, hey. by the way. And I can't I cannot read on PDFs or anything. It drives me crazy. I like books. Yeah. So I sat down with a book in front of the Christmas tree and I spent the entire oh. day reading the book. I didn't put it down. I read it from start to finish. Then I watched TV. And every time I would get that hit of guilt that I wasn't doing something, I was reminded mm. of of reading what I read in your book about mm. letting that go. So can you just expand on that for people? Yeah, for sure. So <laughs> we often feel this, this sense of guilt when we're not uh, really living in accordance or acting in accordance with what we value or what we 
are expected to value. And so, you know, this happens a lot with me with uh, accomplishing things where if I relax for a little bit, there is this guilt that does set in to whatever it is I'm doing in the moment because I'm not living in accordance with that pursuit of progress, which, you know, is this deep cultural value that we have. And that comes to productivity as well, uh, where when we're not productive, there's so often this guilt that sets in to whatever it is that we're doing because we're not acting in accordance with that value of progress, even if we're perfectly enjoying the experience that we're having. Um, I, I think the key to that is to realize just how much uh, progress we're a- actually able to make when we truly unwind, when we truly relax, uh, when we truly allow our mind to calm down, which in my opinion is the purpose of downtime. And one, one way to counteract this, you know, reflecting on whether we're acting in accordance with what we value or what we're expected to value, that's a nice starting point. And I find that to be a helpful reflection. Um, if, if that's the case, if you find that you're enjoying your time, who's <laughs> to tell you to, to stop? Um, as well as keeping an accomplishments list is another tactic that I love to invest in. So Calm actually allows us to accomplish more. Um, and that's the irony, the great irony of it is we feel less productive the calmer we work because we, you know, we work more deliberately and we're less busy because we work with greater directionality on what's truly important. Instead of doing more, 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 faster, 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 we have that deliberateness and that intentionality. And we need to remind our mind of how much we're actually making progress, of how much we're actually accomplishing. And so one of my favorite ways of doing this, when guilt does set in for me, which it does less often, but it still does every so often, is I make an accomplishments list of everything that, uh, all the milestones I hit throughout the week, all of the things I create, all of the progress that I'm able to make. And set aside calm for a second, this is just a, a wonderful strategy because we so often forget about the progress we make and move on so quickly to think about all the things we have yet to do, all the commitments we have, uh, the people we have to pick up, the errands we have to do, and we for- quickly forget about the progress that we've made. And we we all deserve that little pat on the back because uh, you know I think usually we find that we're doing a better job than we believe we are. We're we're on a hamster wheel in in, in society and. That yeah. that exercise that you just talked about, I did that. And oh, I was feeling quite sort of down. I was beating myself up a bit of all the things I did not get done this year. Yeah. And I sat down and I reflected on what I did get done. And I was thinking, holy cow. Yeah. I'm a rock star. Yeah. You're a badass. That, that, look yeah, at you. Look at me go. Yeah. And I think everybody going into 2023 <laughs> should legitimately sit down. Yeah. Yeah. And do this exercise. It's a great- For the whole year. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it was really, really great. And that's, I think, again, this book, I can't stress this enough. I really think it should be required reading. We're in incredibly stressful times and it doesn't seem to be getting any less so. Uh, even mm-hmm. in the last week, you know, we've had this massive jump in AI. Uh, we're seeing yeah. these crazy uh, things come to life in, in the world of science. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just, 
who knows where it's going to go from here. So and yeah. it's, it's far beyond what I think our brains can handle. Yeah. And when the world is accelerating and technology tends to be an accelerant for change, we, we need stability. We need ground to stand on because if we're just swept up and we allow the world to sweep us up with whatever it is where that it's going and whatever it is that it happens to value at one time, usually the world just values more above all else, um, which fuels the, this technological change and progression. We need firm footing. And that's something that if we are beholden to this change and the emotions that this change leads us uh, to feel, we lose that ground. We feel like we're swept up in a hurricane of, of anxiety and change. Calm gives us that footing, right? It, it's, it gives us the capacity to deal with whatever change happens and whatever happens to arise, not, not just in our mind, but also in our lives. You know, we can experience the same things with a calm mind and have more satisfaction from them and savor them more. And when things, you know, go quote unquote wrong, we realize that they're just going differently than we expected them to. And we can find that footing that I, I think we all truthfully deserve. Yeah. And we're not going to, there's no solid footing in the metaverse. So we're just going to no. stay here on terra firma, you know, do that grounding, uh, get outside, all of those things. Uh, and often there's no torso. If you look at <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg's uh, <laughs> crappy iterations of it. Very true. Very true. <laughs> yeah, Chris, I can't thank you enough uh, for joining me today. I just, this is such an important book. So I encourage everybody to find it. Um, but you are on social media occasionally. Somewhat. And, and if people <laughs> want to keep up with you uh, yeah. or you know, find out more, find your other books, what's the best yeah. way to do that? Well, if Twitter still exists when this interview uh, drops, I'm at Chris underscore Bailey, uh, Chris Bailey Auth, A-U-T-H on, on Instagram, which I'm using more and more as time uh, moves forward here. Uh, but yeah, the book is called How to Calm Your Mind. And in my opinion, it's the best thing I've written to date, and I'm quite proud of it. And it's wherever books are sold. Oh, and my website, I guess, is chrisbailey.com. Incredible. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, we're going to have you back again. Uh, I feel uh, you've probably got another book coming out soon. So uh, maybe we'll have you back. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. If you liked today's episode, please take a moment to share it with others. Also, be sure to subscribe to What She Said Talk with Candace Sampson on your favorite podcast provider. Stay up to date with my newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, you can catch What She Said on the radio weekly in Toronto, Ottawa, Surrey, and Sylvan Lake. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. 
Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.